death be outwitted. It's the secret of eternal life, just around that corner. Today, medical science patches up mutilated bodies, transplanting human skin, eyes, limbs, even vital organs. For in the ancient folk legends, tales are told of blood-sucking vampires, crawling out of graves to live on the bodies of helpless victims. Is man now doomed to produce a race of ever-living monstrosities, worse than the vampires of legend? Will ruthless men and women of great wealth and power brutally buy or steal the living bodies of the young and beautiful, so their brains may live on forever? Such questions may seem fanciful, but at this very moment, scientists are working on the answer to brain transplantation. And human bodies are used. This is Racks and Razors. at Racks and Razors. I'm Greg Titterington, and who's with me? Oh, man, what's going on, Greg? It's good to be back again this month. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's it's going to be a fun, fun little Christmas special. Um, had to uh, get uh, our guest interview done um, without you, which was sad. Um, because you were on holiday, which reminds me, how did your trip go to the Big Apple? It went well. Um, I was going to tell you, I went two hours out of New York City to um, go on a Polar Express train ride, and there was a ticket that was supposed to bring me back to New York City, and they said, there's no more buses running. So I was on an adventure and I stayed at a hotel for four hours till the next bus came. <laughs> so, yeah, it was that pretty creepy. Fun. You know, yeah. I'm surprised. I'm surprised while you were out, you didn't try, uh, you didn't hit me up, man. You know, I, I wish you would have hit me up because I would have uh, made a phone call and got a special, uh, special deal for you where you could go take a tour of Troma. Oh, really? Yeah, because yeah. people who are friends of Lloyd's, they'll take them on a tour of the facilities and everything else, and it's not that far from where you were at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you're just going to go over to wondering. Long Island. Yeah. I didn't go to Long Island. Uh, the city, it, there's so much to explore in New York, but I'll go there next time I'm there. So, oh yeah, it'll be how, it'll how be a the, fun little ordeal. Mm-hmm. How are the films doing? Like uh, Midnight Matinee Psycho, uh, oh, or I mean Psychotic State, Family Property Two, and so forth. Right Family. Well, um, the Right Family. The composer is knee deep in everything. Um, I actually got to get together some stuff for him to help the process and get it sent over to him this weekend. Um, it looks like possibly fingers crossed by the end of January, he'll be done with all of the music and we'll be able to 
put everything together and wrap it up, um, then which will be great. Um, then as far as Psychotic State goes, I am working on something with that instead of me doing everything by myself. So I'm mailing it out to some people this weekend. Hopefully, fingers crossed, um, it'll turn into a good thing. I'm not going to speak on what I, where I'm sending it yet, but um, mm-hmm. once that deal pops through, we'll see what we can do with that. But, you know... Other than that, man, it's just going to be, you know, a real fun little deal. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Before um, Halloween, before Halloween next year, every movie will be released. Okay. So Family Property 2. Yeah. Family Property 2. And, uh, like, uh, It's been a long time coming. Yeah, you bet. And, you know, the... um, the footage that Christopher Lee Gordon filmed for my scene of the right family, he was, he, him and I were just the last thing that you, him and I should uh, get together for the spring to discuss a project. Oh yeah. I, I tell you what, man, he did a phenomenal job capturing what I mm-hmm. wanted to get with you. You did a great job acting in it. And, oh, thank you. Um, it was a lot of fun, man. It, it was a lot of fun to watch uh, the footage that you had. So I appreciate it. Um, but anyway, on to more pressing things. We have a great show lined up. Um, I think since Greg couldn't make the interview, I had the pleasure of sitting down and interviewing the wonderful D. Wallace. So that's going to be mm-hmm. a great interview for our fans for this great Christmas special. Um, and, of course, we're going to be reviewing Halloween Ends since um, we this is our first show after the movie came out. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and I think what we're going to do is we're going to kick it off with what, what do you want to do, man? You want to kick it off with the review, or do you want to kick it off with the interview? Maybe the review first, and the interview safe for, for the last. So that would be cool. All right, then. In that case, we're going to have a music break, and we'll come right back, and we are going to review Halloween Ends. And also, the song that's playing is Merry Christmas Baby from the soundtrack of Silent Night, Deadly Night. All right, we'll be right back.
Alright, and we're back. Uh, once again, I'm Derek Young, and I'm here with our host of the most, Greg Russell Titterington, and this is Racks and Razors Radio. Greg, how's it going? You ready, man? Oh, yes, I am ready. Although Halloween is over, we're reviewing Halloween Ends, which is the end of the whole Halloween thing. And i got to tell you, it, it sounds like it, this is definitely the end of it if you see the end of the watch the ending of the movie. <laughs> so I don't know how Michael Myers can get out of this situation. What do you think? Well, see, well, I, I'm going to tell you like this. I think it's funny. I don't actually think it's the end of the Halloween franchise. I just think it's the end of the Michael Myers era of it. I think oh, they're going to okay. try and push things. I think they're going to try and push things in the direction that it was meant to go after Halloween 3. Right? Because mm-hmm. that's kind of the vibe you get in this movie. Yeah, um, I was hoping so. Because it's neat having different stories. So, And, um, you know, the Halloween in, I think it was 2018, that was the direct sequel to the first one. And so Halloween kills and Halloween ends follows after that. But, however, there's good paying tributes on Halloween ends. Like, um, like one, one of them was, you know, with Jamie Lee Curtis's character, Laurie Strode, in the hospital and stuff like that from part two. And I think there was some also uh, some elements of Halloween 3, which has no relationship. Um Oh man, there were so many elements of Halloween three, including the fact that all all of the masks from Halloween three were in Halloween ends that the kids yes. were wearing when they're trick or treating, yeah. which was an awesome homage. I was so happy to see that. Mm-hmm. And it's neat to see a different kind of killer as well, um, which I don't know if I should give away. Um, seems seeming to have a talk with Michael Myers. And, uh, you know, um, the terror begins when the bullies lured into a salvage yard and I was cheering for the slaughtering to begin and stuff like that. Slasher films, slasher fans, not slasher films, slasher fans will love this big time when it shows so that. And, well, um, you know, like lots. I've, I've seen, I've seen all of the, the, funness of it like the people that are it the people that are diehard michael myers fans like i've noticed they didn't like the film all right mm-hmm. because they I wanted know. they wanted good. michael 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 right <clears throat> but the funny thing is michael had more screen time in this movie than he did in a bunch of the previous ones all right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I also noticed that the people that were fans of Season of the Witch and Halloween 3, you know, Halloween 3, they loved this, including myself, mm-hmm. right? There's And people that were tired of the Michael Myers thing liked that there was a new setup and feel. And, you know, it, it's one of those deals where there's going to be people that love it, the people that hate it, and then there's going to be the people in the middle that think it was just mediocre, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm more on the spectrum of the people that loved it. 
you know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's it's just my take on it. Yeah. Um, the movie and the previous sequels working well, much better than the other ones. I thought, you know, that were different. You know, not this. This this was in the sequels of the pre- some of the previous sequels, like with um, Jamie. Oh, uh, Laurie Strode's daughter and stuff like that. Jamie Lloyd, I think the character whose name was. Yeah, like, well, I'm gonna tell you like this, man. It's 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 exactly like you said. And the 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 best part is that not only was it more in line, they literally did a very good job of wrapping the story up and putting a bow on it. You know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I mean, so that that that's you know that that was me. I've watched the film five times since it came out, and mm-hmm. I love it more every time just because of the little different things that I notice each time. You know, yeah. So it's, mm-hmm. it's real good. Yeah, and, and um, the beginning, of course, um, you know, showing what revealed last time, as well as clips from the original movie. That's nice to put in, and then there's a cheesy beginning getting to start off with a babysitter um, who is a misfit. And, uh, yeah, it, like we were thinking, okay, Michael's going to come in sometime. Um, and he's framed for killing the kitty babysat. And so that um, that seems to lead pretty well to the story as well. Oh, yeah. What do you think? And- I thought it was great, dude. I mean, the setup, the intensity Mm -hmm. on how they made you feel that Michael was there, right? And then Mm -hmm. you see this evil come out of this kid who's babysitting Mm -hmm. the younger one, and you see the reaction and what happens, and then you end up getting to see later what happened to the parents of the the kid mm-hmm. that died and they mm-hmm. did a wonderful job of taking and putting his story into the universe mm-hmm. of Michael mm-hmm. Myers so yes. I, I give kudos to them for that I mean bravo on finding a way to make that work mm-hmm. yeah um, what well, I was it, 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 yeah, I, I somewhat, I kind of agree on that. And um, there are teaser moments when you think Laurie Strode is about to end her life and stuff like that, just to play a trick, which is uh, which is pretty cool. And um, yeah, did you find did you find when you watched it, this was really going to happen, and it, then suddenly it's not? Uh, did did it, did it almost? Uh, did it almost trick you when you watched that? Dude, I was upset. I was on an emotional roller coaster watching this. All right? Mm-hmm. Mainly because they did that nice little tie-in between her and the sheriff. Right? Mm-hmm. And that, mm-hmm. that gives you that little moment of, well, this is so sad because they could have been so happy together. Right? Mm-hmm. And then you get those feelings that can come to you because the way they filmed this 
right? When it, it can it the emotion that comes across when she's getting ready to possibly kill herself. Like you don't know is this that like you said is this going to happen? I, what am I mm-hmm. watching? They mm-hmm. they can't let her die this way, right? And yeah, you know. The fact that she never did was great, but yeah, it it really took you for a roller coaster throughout the movie. Yeah, and so Lauren Strode doesn't die, which is good. <laughs> we wondered if she was, <laughs> but it had the right ending um, when we watch it. Um, and I, I believe so, but now I'm questioning whether or not. Lori's granddaughter is going to become the next killer of the franchise. Why would you say that? Because the evil consumes. And we mm-hmm. get those teases throughout the movie of her, the evil taking her over, right? And then yeah. we see that moment when her love interest dies. And mm-hmm. she believes that Lori's behind it, right? We see her reaction yeah. to that. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if the evil hasn't gotten her enough that the next time we see a Halloween, it's her and not Michael Myers. Mm, I just, wonder about just, that. Huh? You know, it's mm-hmm. just, to me, that's the way I would do it. Like, in my head, mm-hmm. right? In my head, if you really want to shock everybody, you, mm-hmm. you, because everybody put this as they were trying to create a new killer because Michael couldn't go on anymore, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. what if the new killer really is Lori's granddaughter? She has mm, the gumption and the strength. That would be a, That would be a very interesting twist. Mm-hmm. on everything mm-hmm. in my opinion yeah um i don't know a female killer in halloween it doesn't seem to just blend in if you know what i mean um well i got a feeling though man i got a feeling when i was every time i watched it i noticed little little pieces extra that I didn't notice the first time dealing with her like they could branch off onto her own storyline and everything else and I I don't know man I think it would be the right thing to do yeah I really think it would be the right thing to do yeah I mean we see somewhat what Michael Myers looks like with his mask removed so that was nice to see that um, oh, yeah, and and dude, I, I'm just glad they didn't do the, didn't do anything like they did in Kills, where they had everybody mm-hmm. going around chanting and shit. I'm so glad they didn't do that. Yeah, Halloween, that Halloween Kills was was a gr- great sequel. It was like a reunion of the original characters, so. Uh, yeah, it was a great sequel. I just hate, 
I just hated that segment in it where they were going around yeah. chanting "Evil dies tonight," you know. And yeah, I'm just I was glad just, they didn't well, rehash that. Yeah, um, after Return to Sleepaway Camp, they were going to do Sleepaway Camp reunion. Decided not to do it and are doing a reboot, which I told the moderator from the Sleepaway Camp website they're making a mistake doing that because I think it would just be enjoyable seeing the original, some of the original cast members reprise in, in Halloween, not Halloween, Sleepaway Camp reunion. So, Oh, yeah, dude. Hey, by the way, did I tell you, but right now, I know this is off subject, but did I tell you, like, um, when you were on holiday, um, did, it, did I tell you I went and uh, they had a 39th anniversary screening of Sleepaway Camp? Oh, I um, heard about the something like that. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot it? of fun, dude. Yeah, it was a lot oh, okay. of fun. It was so awesome to see it on the big screen. But anyway, um, dude, when when you get in to the nitty gritty, like I, I hope everybody that didn't like it the first time gives it another shot. Yes, and, I agree. And doesn't look at it to be a Michael Myers Halloween film. They look at it to to get from it what they can because if mm-hmm. they do it that way they're going to like it a lot more and I'm just hoping they get in on that you know what I'm saying yeah I agree with that that's what I was thinking too um, yeah so you know end, end of a trilogy and I thought it was pretty cool um, you know it was good Jamie Lee Curtis did a great job being tough and vengeful and a nice emotional attitude with her aggressions too. I mean, she really brought it out. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis does not she lose her touch. She knocked it out of the. She knocked it out of the park, and she proved she still is one of the best. Mm-hmm. Right. And people thought I mean, that she wanted to say goodbye to Halloween, and she never never did. She said. You know, it helped her career, acting career, and she was proud of doing that movie. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I tell you right now, though, dude, just like the moments with her, like mm-hmm. when she was alone, sitting inside of the place, waiting on the guy, and he shows up, and she's sitting there, and she <laughs> has that crazy side of her come out. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal, mm-hmm. phenomenal acting. Jamie Lee is yeah. just bone-chilling good, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, the you know the Halloween from 2018 that takes place after the original Halloween, I mean, Michael Myers, Jamie, I mean, um, Laurie Strode was not Michael Myers' biological sister in this one, which was a good way to put that, because you know why Michael was stalking her and trying to kill her in the first place? Do you know why? Go ahead. Go ahead and say it, man. Go ahead. And she went to his house. Remember to drop off the key. So that triggered Michael to yeah. kill her. And so. that's, that's, that's the funny thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. She's you, like, uh, mm-hmm. you really got to just go back. Right. 
I think if people would sit down and watch the first two, actually watch the first three Halloween films, right? Mm-hmm. Watch them mm-hmm. and then watch watch this succession from 2018 and kills and ends, and put them all back to back in a marathon. They would mm-hmm. see it and get it, and it would be great. Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, yeah, um, I remember when I was first starting out with the podcast show with Heath Herrera, we reviewed the Halloween, uh, original Halloween movies, and told me why Michael was originally stalking Laurie Strode and wanting to kill her. And so that was the answer. So, um, yeah, anyhow, let's give it a rating. I give it four, uh, not four bats, three bats, three bats, sorry. Well, um, I'm going to have to go with four, buddy. Four? Oh, you're yeah. more generous than I am. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to uh, go with four, just because of, just because of all, the, all the homages to the franchise. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. it was great to see. I I enjoyed every one of them, and it put a smile on my face. Um, mm-hmm. So so because it made me go on an emotional roller coaster and made me smile, and made me excited, and had me jumping for joy at spots. I got to give it a four. Oh, okay. got to give it four back. Yeah. Well, that's great. And so. Next up will be an interview with Dee Wallace that you interviewed with, but we'll have the song from Silent Night, Deadly Night soundtrack, Warm Side of the Door. So we'll be back after that song. been a long time lost I can't even hope to tell you where I've been and what it
co-star at the time, which made the shooting of it a lot more fun. (laughs) And, um, you know, and then you've got Joe Dante, brilliant director, wonderful guy, uh, funny, a lot of fun to work with. And then you've got all these amazing character actors, um, including, uh, well, all of, you know, all of the well, well well-known icons and then including Belinda Belaski, whom I became very good friends with, and she was just so delightful to work with. We kind of became like sisters on the set. So it was it was challenging because we worked mostly nights. Um, so your body clock had to get all turned around. And um, it was challenging because of the finances. We did the howling for, I think, a million bucks. Werewolf and London had over 13. Um, so it, a lot of it was, let's put on a show. And I think we put on a pretty darn good one. And so what was, like, one of your favorite scenes to do from that movie? Oh, I think it was probably the scene in the bedroom. Um, where I hear it and I scuttle over to the window and I come back and wake my husband up. And also the scene, (laughs) 
the scene where he slaps me. So Joe Dante said, well, I'm sure you guys rehearsed this last night. Let me see what you came up with. And Chris said, I'm sorry, my leading lady doesn't rehearse. (laughs) And he looked at me and he said, you're just going to trust him to slap you? And I said, absolutely. I know he knows how to do it. And besides, if he actually does slap me, he knows he ain't going to get any sex for months and months and months. So, you know, <laughs> we just had a lot of fun like that. Um, mm. I I remember, too, it was a very long dolly shot um, when we were sleeping. And every time the camera went over the dolly and down the dolly, it would sound like it was farting. And so it took us like 10 takes to get it because between me laughing and then Christopher would laugh or if we held it together, somebody in the crew would lose it. So we finally got the dolly fixed and the farts were gone. And a little bit of WD-40 can go a long way. There you go. There you go. (laughs) So so now let's. Uh, jump into another one of my favorite horror films, and that's The Hills Have Eyes. Mm-hmm. Okay, Give me well... Some of your experiences with that. Oh, dear God. The Hills Have Eyes was really my first major film. And um, so everybody... You know, I get questions like, well, did you really worry about the content, and were you really concerned about the violence? I went, guys, it was my first leading part. I was just going, yeah, I got a gig. I got a job, right? So yeah. it, was, um, it was difficult. We filmed in the Mojave Desert. And uh, during the day, of course, it's deadly hot. And at night, it gets really, really cold. And nobody was a name. You know, nobody had any cachet at that point so we all stayed in the same trailer everybody just hung out in this one big trailer and um, and the bathroom broke (laughs) and you know you've got like eight people all staying in the same trailer and the bathroom breaks and it's it's not a fun time so now the question is, the trailer you guys were staying in, did they utilize that for filming? Uh, no. They didn't use that as part of the film. Um, they, they could have it been was, interesting. Yeah, it was, it was purely, well, you couldn't because you're filming all the time and then the actors needed someplace to go hang out. I spent a lot of time on that film in my car. And um, we were literally, I don't know, between three or nine miles inside the maximum distance from L.A. you could ask an actor to drive. So a week into the film, I almost fell asleep at the wheel coming home. And um, Christopher, my husband at the time, well, not at the time, my 
my guy I was living with at the time said, honey, you can't do this. So we found a really cheap hotel room, and I paid for it myself and stayed there the rest of the time because it was just too dangerous. We were working long hours and weird hours, and um, it was too dangerous to go back and forth for me. Yeah. Well, um, what some of, like, say, one of the funniest stories you remember from being on set with that one? Oh, gosh, probably the damn tarantula. I mean, it's funny in retrospect. It wasn't funny in the moment. But, you know, they said, oh, don't worry, D. It can't hurt you. It can't hurt you. So I got all into the scene, and they put the tarantula on me, and we got the shoot. And then afterwards, they said, you know, actually, they can hurt you. <laughs> but not if you milk them first. And we had just milked it. So we knew it was safe and, and it wouldn't bite you because we just milked it. I went, yeah, thanks a lot, guys. I mean, a lot of, a lot of dangerous stuff happened on that set. Um, the woman playing my mother... Um, they had rigged, um, gosh, I can't even remember what you call them, but the, they had rigged around her the caps so that when she got shot, uh, it yeah. looked, you know, on screen like she'd been shot. Well, they, they didn't tie it down the way they needed to, and when the cap went off, it bounced and moved and blew part of her breath. So that was, there were a lot of little tiny injuries like that. She was okay. They, yeah. of course, took care of her and everything. But still, you know, you can't yeah, do a horror film with all that stuff. Ask Tom Cruise. <laughs> and and not get hurt sometimes. It's just part of the deal. Yeah, but you also got to live with the number one rule. Safety is key. Safe, oh, safe, you safe. bet. You bet. And if you and, don't feel uh, safe with it, you got to make sure you do. Yeah, and that happened to me the very first uh, time on a Jeep commercial that I did. And I had done all the, you know, going through the ponds and, all that stuff. And then the last shot, they wanted me to come up this hill fast enough that I would lift the car up and then go down the other side of the hill. And I went, guys, I'm not trained to do this. You know, and they got, they got kind of like, yeah, well, you want to work again, don't you? I said, you know what? You call Screen Actors Guild. If they say it's okay for me to do it, I'll do it, because I knew they wouldn't, and they didn't. And so they brought a, a stunt woman out. They stunt, brought have. a stunt woman out. She went up, brought it up off the ground, down, it caught, it rolled, and she broke her leg. And, and I just looked you. at him. I looked at him, and I said, and that's 
why actors don't do what you're asking me to do, guys. Even trained people get hurt. Oh, that's right. So now let's move on to Cujo, our favorite dog of the world. (laughs) Well, it's Um, my favorite film of mine. So as far as Cujo goes, all right, tell us a little bit how things were on set with that, like, um, when the dog was attacking, what was happening while we, while you were filming and things like that. Okay, well, there were 13 dogs p- that played Cujo, and all of 13. them were trained to go after different toys. So we had to tie their tails down because they were wagging them all the time. And the reason there were so many dogs is you can't overwork an animal because it's not safe for them. You can overwork D, but you can't overwork an animal. So we were never at any time afraid of the dogs. They were so well trained by Carl Miller. And uh, we just, it was just really acting from Danny and I. And that kid, so freaking amazing in that movie. Um, he just has gotten back into acting. He's got a sweet little Christmas film on Lifetime uh, right now. So I'm thrilled that he's coming back into the fold here. But, I mean, it was relentless. For every scene, the audience sees, we probably did 10, 15 times. It was exhausting. It was relentless. Um, the scene where I break the back of the windshield to get my kid out, I wasn't supposed to be able to break the glass, and I did, and my arm went through it and slipped my arm. One time I had maggots all over me because we had to hurry up and get a shot, and we were way far away from the set, and So we just picked up some mud and put it on me, which, you know, it's a working ranch, right? So it was was hard. It was really, really, really the hardest thing I've ever done in my career, for sure. Oh, right. That's that's actually very interesting. I didn't, you know... the, the fact that they had 13 dogs and you couldn't really tell it on camera. Yeah. They they really picked out and yeah. did did their work. Um, and Carl Miller even slept in the barn with him to take care of him. Uh, he see, was, that's what you call a, that's what yeah. you call a great guy right there. Yeah, dedicated, dedicated to his animals and a great, great trainer. There really wasn't anything those dogs couldn't do. It did. We didn't think we could get a dog to do that last scene where he jumps through the glass. Yeah. And he finally got one dog, and he said, all right, guys, if we're going to do this, you have to bring in multiple cameras because you get one shot. But, man, was that shot worth it. Oh, you're not kidding. Yeah, where he comes in at the end in slow motion and goes through the glass and that 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 right there is like one of the most epic scenes 
Mm-hmm. And then on on top of that, the the way that you guys made the fear come out, now knowing that you were never afraid of the dogs, that just shows the level of acting ability you guys have. Well, thank I you. Mean, it's, That's it's, our job. And yes, everybody thinks, you know, we were dying of the heat. It was actually really cold. And um, at one point, I looked over and little Danny was shivering his little butt off. And I said, guys, can we put a heater in the front of the car? Is there any way we could rig that up? And they did. Because we were really, really cold. It was, it was November and December in Northern California. Ooh, yeah, that's that's going to be a rough one at that time of year to be mm-hmm. at, filming at night and stuff. So yep. now, now let's go ahead and move forward to Critters. Just because okay. Critters was the, just a bag of fun. Well, that, other I mean, than, you know, the damn, other than the damn hours again. You know, in a horror film, you just work a lot of nights. You just do. Well, that's when most of the horror comes out. That's, I mean, it's not it's not that easy to to make people scared when you have the daylight out and you're able to see everything surrounding you. Yeah. You know? Well, so, we're just conditioned to know that scary things happen at night, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, now, with Critters, what was the experience like as far as how like how they brought the critters to life in front of you and um the different aspects that may have been challenging for it well the choto brothers really worked the critters they were on set all the time some of a lot of the time uh when we worked with the critters Uh, we had to have people on the sides rolling them through, literally. You know, we'd get all up in the emotion, and then we'd hear, okay, roll it in. (laughs) And a little critter would come bouncing across the camera. Um, They hadn't finished the big critter yet. Man, if you want to see an amazing big critter, go look at the new Critters movie on sci-fi that... uh, I went to Cape Town, South Africa, and did it. The end, there's an, you think it's CGI, it's not. It, it's okay, just, so I'm, I'm learning something new. I didn't know you did a new Critters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, man, I'm now i got something i got to watch. And you know what's interesting is I play the same character, but somehow legally they couldn't get the same name, so... They call me something else, but I've become a vigilante. So it was fun. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. So now there were a few sequels to Critters. Before this one that you did at Sci-Fi, were you ever asked to reprise your role in the others? Um, I believe I was in the first one, and um, for me, how can I say this politically, the script didn't hold up. I didn't think um, that 
all my fans would be happy with his take on critters. So I declined and, it. And, and the same thing happened with the howling, too. Now, now, see, I love hearing that, that you read the script and thought about your fans. Well, yeah, right? I, I always think about my fans. Uh, but somebody you know called, what I'm saying. Yeah, I do. That's, somebody called. That's, a, that's uh, a good quality. They were going to do, uh, uh, well, when they called me for this new critters, my first question was, are you going to use practical effects or CGI? Because I'm not interested if it's CGI. My fans would be hugely disappointed. Um, and somebody had called me about Cujo. We want to do another Cujo film with CGI. I said, not a freaking chance. Not with me anyway. So, uh, you know, there's some CGI that has gotten pretty damn good. And to capture the soul and the intensity of what goes on between you and and the animal or the, the practical effects um, when you're shooting, it's just, I don't think you can duplicate it. And I'm good, but I, I don't think it's the no, same thing. No, you can't. No, you can't duplicate that. And that's the reason why people like um, Rest in Peace, um, but people like the Monster Man, Cleve Hall, right? Yeah. People that do that stuff, that's why they poured their heart and soul into learning to make monsters. Yeah. Because there's nothing like having it in front of you, right? Because yeah. then you can figure out how you would actually act if this thing was real and if it came up on you. And it, uh, it's just, to me, Talk the about best thing in the world. Masters in that field, Rob Botin with the werewolf from the Howling, was on the set like 24-7 working with that. If, if you bring the light over here, it's going to make him more li lifelike. Let me spray him down. I mean, it, he just knew so much about bringing the reality of that werewolf to life, even after he had designed it. Pretty incredible to watch him. That's the reason why these movies became cult classics. And, and and friggin' have lasted all these years because all you guys put in so much dedication with each aspect from dealing with the animals to dealing with the practical effects to the way that you guys presented your acting and the things that you went through just to make the films happen as far as the sleep schedules and the heat and the cold and everything else that's what makes movies great because people are putting their heart into them and that's what fans love because you can feel it come off of the screen yeah you can i agree you can feel it <clears throat> so that's a far fetch from being an et right <laughs> but considering critters involved aliens too have you had a lot of fans that came up saying, hey, look, I, these are the two movies that I absolutely love? Uh, you know, I don't think they 
they single them out because they're about aliens. Uh, I don't get that so much, no. Um, but I do get questions a lot about whether I believe in aliens, whether I believe they exist. And I do. And I also know that um, they can't intercede or interfere with our creation, um, that they're here to support us and help us when they can. And they're not scary. I mean, Stephen really, he really got it right. And, you know, we recently watched this movie called Paul, which is hysterically uh-huh. funny. Have you ever seen it? Is that the is that the animated one? Um, the movie is it, isn't is animated. No. Okay. Okay. Oh, you got to watch it. It's really funny, kind of dirty, and pretty amazing. Um, some great, great performances in it, and Paul is the alien in it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I saw the trailer for it. I was wanting to see that one. Yeah, it's it's really, you know, that aliens are, uh, well, intellectually superior from what I understand, um, or their understanding is superior to what's going on with the world and how the world's laid out and all that good stuff. But they're not scary. That's that's the movies. That's like yeah. religion telling you God doesn't want you to be powerful. <laughs> then, then God, God never said created, that. You God, know? God wouldn't have created power in you to be able to take on the world if he didn't well he said you know these miracles and more will you do also that's that's the antithesis of don't be powerful or i won't love you you know that's all man bs stuff yeah well you can't show people god is real if you don't have power in yourself anyway that's just my opinion you bet you bet sweetheart you got to love anyway, yourself and know how magnificent you are. So now, Halloween is coming on, but this wouldn't be an interview without asking you how things were with the role that you were uh, played in Rob Zombie's remake. <laughs> well, first of all, I absolutely adore Rob Zombie and love working with him. If Rob calls, I say yes. And uh, he brings me such interesting parts we absolutely had a ball on halloween um love working with um uh taylor uh scout taylor compton and um, i just love the way rob works he has such trust in his actors and you know he'll he'll get uh He'll he'll get the the main shot, and then he'll say, "Okay, everybody, bring in your best shit," and he'll just turn all the cameras on and let it roll. And that's when you get the gold, you know. Everybody, well, I mean, that's, 
That that's what I don't get with a lot of movies. Like, okay, so you have so many people, like directors, that want to stay so on script with dialogue. But Mostly the best in TV. Way, Mostly the in best, TV. Yeah, well, it depends too. Like studio pictures, a lot of them, they have those script supervisors there that are trying to nag on, like this, this, this. And I'm talking about like the the hundred, two hundred million dollar films that takes that much money to make, right? Well, but, you know, I have not ever <clears throat> run into that with a big film director. I well, run into a it a lot on TV, but I don't run into that with big film directors because they know yeah. that the magic is often what happens to the actor in the moment. Yeah, a good well, example of that is the dinner scene in E.T. when we're all sitting around and he he says, well, I can't call my dad. He's in Sally. He's in Mexico with Sally. And my character, Mary, took such a hit from that, and I could feel the tears coming up, and I actually had the thought, I don't want the kids to see me cry. So I got up and left the table. And Stephen comes up to me and says, Dee, why did you get up and leave? That's not in the script. Why did you do that? And I explained to him what happened. And he looked at me, and he called the crew in and had them build that extra part of the set with the sink and running water so he could take me over there and then bring me into that big close-up where I say he hates Mexico. And all that happened in 30 minutes because I felt safe to follow my instincts on that set. That's an awesome story. And he would do that with the kids, too. Say, hey, kid, you got an idea? You have any idea about what you do with this? And, and the kids would bring in great stuff, and I would bring in great stuff, and he would bring in great stuff, and sometimes the DP would bring in great stuff. You know, Melissa Matheson, who wrote the amazing script, was on the set, and she would bring in great it, That's when the magic happens. But when you get too bogged down into control, there, then everybody starts shutting off. Yeah, I've 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 seen that a lot. So, because uh, uh, there's a lot of indie filmmakers I've worked with that are like, no, the script says this. You have to go like this. It has to be this way. All right. This is what I had in my head. And I'm like sitting there thinking to myself, man, you just don't get it. Like, they, they're not going to actually talk the way you wrote this stuff. So, Oh, my God. That's, that's for sure. I mean, so many times, uh, so many times I've, I just begged to make, I said, I'm going to say the same thing, but can I make the, make it my own? Can I say it? Unless she's a totally different character than me, then it's my job to make those words work. Like if she's a, a hard-ass, you know, legal bitch, 
then she wouldn't talk like Dee Wallace talks because I'm soft and I'm vulnerable and that's usually the parts I play, right? So there's an argument on both sides and you have to look at the material that you're working with, I think. Well, that's a great segue into the next question because we're going to talk about Hansel and Gretel and you played a role oh, that doesn't that isn't D Wallace because you were the witch. Uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun chewing up the scenery that I wasn't D Wallace in the Frighteners either, baby. You oh, know. Yeah. And I certainly oh, wasn't D Wallace in 3 from Hell. So Oh no, but but now <clears throat> Hansel and Gretel was actually a very underrated film. Yeah, it is. In my opinion, because that movie and your acting in it, oh my God. Well, thank you. Phenomenal. Absolutely but, you know, phenomenal. It didn't come out in theaters. It got released, you know, on streaming or wherever the hell it went. And when you do that with a movie, it doesn't get the kudos that it deserves. The Frighteners, incredibly underrated movie. But it came out, um, what happened was, it was supposed to come out at Halloween, and it would have been perfect. But one of the big summer blockbusters wasn't done, so they said, oh, the Frighteners is done, we'll throw it out in the summer, along with all the big blockbusters. It got lost. Uh, I keep trying to get Peter to re-release it, see if they won't re-release it around um, Halloween, you know? Um, they should. Yeah, they, yeah, they totally like should. Today, especially with today with all of the people that are interested in the paranormal and everything else, they definitely should. I mean, it could, it could do very well. Um, yeah, I agree. And it would be but, great to see Michael J. Fox on the big screen again, you know. That it would, you know. And and uh, uh, that Hansel, back to Hansel that, and Gretel. That, I did it with. The anniversary would be the perfect time for that. Yeah, the yeah. The anniversary of the film would be the perfect time for that. Do an anniversary theatrical release. Bada bing, bada boom. Throw it out there to him that way and be like, look, the anniversary coming up. This anniversary, this specific one, we got to do it. Do it. They'll do it. Just do it. Yeah, I wonder I wonder what anniversary of the Frighteners is coming up. I'll have to look into that. That's a good idea. Thanks. Well, but, you know, Hansel and Gretel I did with my buddy um, Anthony Ferrante. I do a lot of work with him. And um, he knows how I work and I know how he works and it's, it's just kind of a piece of cake. Um, we have a movie out now called The Knicks, N-I-X, that's streaming that is just a really far out, weird, mm, horror slash uh, mind game film. And... Um, I I just play a totally batshit crazy woman in it, and uh, so if you're looking for something really different to uh, sit down and have a really fun evening, the Knicks. Look for the Knicks. 
The Knicks? N-I-X, okay. yeah. All right, so everybody hearing this, got to go get the Knicks. All right, so now we're gonna get we're we're gonna go back to Frighteners. I just looked. Next year will be 17 years ago the film came out. So we're missed the boat of the 15 year anniversary. Yeah, but, but maybe it maybe at the 20th they'll bring it. They'll do it. Well, maybe he can work a deal. But it would be it would be a lot better if we could make sure that it it it's able to hit where you can go around and do some appearances with it and you know things like that. That would be very you know because like um, just for anniversary uh, the thirty ninth anniversary of Sleepaway Camp, um, yeah. they had. They they've done some screenings of it, where the main character comes and sits down and does a Q and A after and commentary and stuff like that. Yeah, sure. Right. They do that all the time. Yeah. So yeah. maybe they can set up something like that. Well, I'll put another bug in Peter's ear. Yeah, I mean the fan. I know the fan. The main fans would love it, especially the the ones my age that didn't get to see it in theaters, um, because of. You know, I was, I wasn't because of your age. old yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know. Um, All right, but anyway. buddy, we got to wrap this up. Do you have any last questions? Well, um, I have two more I wanted to ask you. Okay. Um, the very first one was um, the Frighteners, speaking of it, right, was bringing out the fear with the paranormal stuff and um, the character that you had, did you find anything really challenging with doing that film and being that character? Uh, the physicality was very challenging. Uh, I, I had no problem going into the dark places that Patricia went, and, um, but the physicality uh, was very challenging and... Uh, most people don't know this, but my uh, husband of 18 years died during the Frighteners. So I had to fly back and take care of his service and, you know, all that stuff and then fly back and finish the film. So it was a real yin and yang experience for me. Um, as much as I loved doing it, there was some real heartache there. There's there's been a lot with the fans too, um, you know. Your your late husband was an amazing actor, and thank you. Every time you every time you guys got to work together, God was it magic. Yeah, we had some good chemistry. We did. So now, um, the last question I'm going to ask you. Then afterwards, if you want to throw out any films that should be coming out and just, you know, promote some stuff real quick you can. But the last thing we have to talk about, since it is Christmas time, all right, want to hear a little bit about your experience playing the basket case mother in Red Christmas. Oh, we had so much fun. Um, uh, you know, we shot it in Australia, and uh, I worked with the best of the best Australian actors down there, and 
um, it was it was such a different vibe than it is in America. Um, somebody would cook each night, and and the whole company would eat together. One night, I made beef stroganoff for everybody, and uh, it was just. It was kind of it was it was a family. I mean, really, the only people in that film were the major people that you know were inhabiting the house and and the party and the whole thing, and um, loved working with the, the director. I just had it. It was just a great, great time for me. Well, and you know, um, for me, the more psycho, the more I like the part. So <laughs> I'm going to have to keep that in mind. <laughs> uh, we'll have to keep that in mind. Uh, this, um, uh, I got a few friends that make movies, and I dwell in it too. So we're going to have to keep that in mind for future reference for everybody. But now, that being said, I want to thank you so much, D for taking your time out and um, giving us a little insight to how much fun you were able to have on these films that we all love. Um, is there any films coming up other than you already threw Nick's out there? Are there any other um, horror films oh, that are yeah, going to be coming I've, out soon? I've got some independents uh, coming out, and I'm recurring on three different limited series. The first one is called, well, it was called when we shot it, A Deeper Look. I think maybe they're, uh, maybe they're going to retitle it. I've got a recurring on Fatal Attraction. And then um, Gregory Harrison and I just went back and reprised our roles of the parents in two episodes of 911. So there's a lot to... Lot of, lot to look for me in coming up, which I'm happy to say. Well, uh, I know all the fans are too, because it 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 would not be right being able to go all year without seeing D Wallace somewhere. Oh um, well, aren't you sweet? I strive to please, especially <laughs> at the conventions. Especially at the conventions, because you do you go above and beyond to make sure fans are happy with being able to meet you and you show them the gratitude that you have for them and allow them to show their gratitude to you. And you're just such a joy at convention. Well, um, thank you. Thank you. You know, I, I really enjoy doing the conventions and exchanging all that love with everybody. There's nothing better than the exchange of love, you know, and guys, Take more of it out into the world. That's what we need right now. And on that note, I will say goodbye and thank you. It's been great discussing all this stuff. And I'll see you at the next convention, baby, okay? Oh, yeah. Thank you so much, D. You have a great one. You bet. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, well, man. Yeah, this was a great. Uh, this is a great Christmas show, and uh, you know everyone. Yeah, we need. I, we need. You your know what was? You know what was a Christmas present to me? 
Mm-hmm. What was a Christmas present to me from D was finding out that there's another critter and she's in it. Oh, that's excellent. Yes. I can't that wait to see it. Is, is it a remake so or is phenomenal. it... Is it a sequel um, or a remake? It's kind of a mix of a sequel with a reboot. Oh, you just, okay. You, you got to go you go look it up. Go look at the trailer, dude. I looked at it after I got to do the interview with her. And mm-hmm. I ain't had a chance to watch the movie yet, but I absolutely loved it because they went back and did everything with practical effects. Mm-hmm. It's not any CGI so, BS. Oh, nice! So, it's, so it looks it's like great. it kind of looks like a. It's got to look like a retro film. Exactly. Um, you you'll enjoy it. You, you I'm pretty sure you're you're gonna enjoy it. But anyway, I mean, it, dude, so much fun stuff came from this show. Um, D was great, um, as everybody you know is going to get the opportunity to hear. Um, and and I just you know had a lot of fun with this show. Um, I, I hate that we didn't get to do the entire show together, but um, it's a great Christmas show. I think fans are going to enjoy it. So, yeah, like um, I swore when I swore when things are were back, I would go on a lot of holidays, and that's what I did. And now I'm holidayed out. I'm here to stay for most of the month until maybe October or May. So, yeah. Well, so. I, I tell you, man, I'm glad you got out and came and uh, got to come to the states and do what you wanted to. Because um, I know you've been itching to get back into traveling again, so glad you yeah, got to do that for the holidays. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, man, to tell you what, it's it's getting ready to be a lot of fun next year. It looks like it's going to be a very promising year for the horror genre. So mm-hmm. I am keeping my fingers crossed on that note because it looks like we're going to get some great stuff. Um, and, and, uh, I just can't wait to see it. Yeah. And as you know, I gave you the contact information from some people from a convention, um, to see if maybe we can do interviews with them in the new year. So hopefully they can. Oh yeah, oh, yeah man. Yeah. We'll see what we got going down. Other than that, I tell you what, it's been great giving this time of year that you're taking the opportunity to listen to us and this Christmas special. We want to wish you all a happy holiday and a happy new year from Racks and Razors Radio. I'm Derek Young, and this is Greg Titterington, and the the ending of our song is, of course, once again from the Silent Night, Deadly Night soundtrack, Santa's Watching. Good night, everyone. All right. Santa's watching, Santa's waiting. Christmas Eve is slowly fading. Can you hear him in the night? Close the door, turn out the light. Santa's watching, Santa's creeping. Now you're nodding, now 
knows if you've been bad There might be a treat for you In Santa's bag of toys But Christmas won't be fun and games For naughty girls and boys Santa's watching, Santa's waiting tonight on Racks and Razors. Want to thank everybody who sent in their music for us tonight. If you want to get your stuff played on the show, go to RacksandRazors.com and uh, email us through that and we'll hopefully get you on the show because it's awesome. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you in a month. This has been Racks and Razors online at RacksandRazors.com. Racks and Razors.